Okay, so we're recording again. Hi, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the CPO Strategy Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Sean Galliaparch, and today we're going to be joined by Nicholas Walden of the Hackett Group. We'll be looking at some of the issues procurement has faced over the past few years and how leaders can tackle these challenges such as inflation um, and and thrive really in the next sort of few years uh, amid a really sort of turbulent time for the industry. Hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to the CPO Strategy Podcast. The dedicated procurement podcast brought to you by CPO Strategy Magazine that delivers valuable C-level perspective into the core issues surrounding procurement transformation, digitalization, sustainability, talent, the procure tech ecosystem, and more. Each episode delivers powerful and inspiring insight from those who are leading transformation strategies within the world's biggest and best-known companies. The CPO Strategy Podcast. Disrupt. Transform. Evolve. Where am I right now? I'm, I'm at the Hackett Group. I, I lead our European procurement advisory team. Uh, so practice leader, if you if you will. Um, you know, my day job is to is to work with a, a portfolio of the large multinational procurement teams to help them develop their performance, their capability, contribute to our research and, and thought leadership. But uh, clearly, I didn't start there, right? So I'm originally from New Zealand. <clears throat> went to went to university there. You know, grew up there. Went to law school, um, did my my bachelor's also in, in economics and, and accounting, um, and then at a point in time moved over uh, to, to London, right? Well-worn route by uh, many fellow uh, Antipodeans, you know, New Zealanders, Australians. In between, <clears throat> I was very fortunate. Yeah, I, I stopped off in, in Canada, right? Um, the, um, the travel agent said, well, you know, why, why don't you stop off in Canada and, and go skiing or, or snowboarding uh, on the way? So I, I did that. And uh, um, I look back now, and that's probably one of the, the best things I did was to, to spend uh, two, two winters in, in Canada, um, you know, uh, getting getting good at, at skiing and snowboarding, shall we say. But uh, yeah, skiing in Canada is absolutely fantastic, right? Uh, skiing in the trees and, and the deep powder, it's the stuff that, that, that people really dream about. So. Yes, that's right. Um, so I've been here in, in London since about 1999, uh, worked uh, for many large corporates, actually in strategic finance and planning, budgeting and forecasting. But what really captured my attention was the commercial side of things, right? So whether or not that was uh, commercial analyst, commercial manager, business partner type roles on the commercial side of things, um, it, it just felt like a natural progression to move into the procurement function to work on a number of different roles there, and then eventually to move into consulting, right? So a number of different consulting roles, um, uh, worked work uh, le- leading and managing change, um, technology projects, operating model tr- projects, um, setting up a number of um, shared service and, and center of expertise uh, centers and, and areas, you know, across Europe. I mean, it's been a, a great role at, at the Hacker Group. Worked um, all around the world, you know, Australia, <laughs> New Zealand, um, all across Asia. There was one project uh, for a large global charity. I ended up um, visiting, what was it, 10 countries or something in, in six weeks uh, across North America and, and all over the place here in Europe. So wonderful exposure. <laughs> At one point in time, we did think we were in uh, one of those movies from the 2007s or 2008. I think uh, George Clooney might have been in it. Well, I mean, procurement's been on a fantastic journey. We've really had quite quite a rip, 
right? I mean, if you call it, hey, where we were five years ago or, or legacy procurement, you know, much of the focus was just around, uh, you know, many people hear me say this all the time, just sourcing, negotiating and contracting suppliers, right? And and ever since then, we've, we've been on what seems like a continuous journey to play that much more strategic role to engage with the business. And uh, some of these key trends in terms of development areas actually started before, you know, the madness, the craziness of the last three years, right? So procurement shift into um, focusing around managing suppliers, SRM, third-party risk, ESG, being much more data and insight driven. And then, of course, when 2020 came around and we had pandemic and lockdown and open up and supply scarcity, shortages, um, inflation started kicking off. We, of course, we had the Ukraine and Russia war erupt to the beginning of 2022. And then we are um, now. So it really does feel like we've been buffeted by one crisis after another. And then, of course, most recently, uh, the reopening of China and the impact that it's had on resource markets there. And then, of course, what's been happening in the last few weeks um, in terms of weakness in the financial sector. Um, I mean, I was working in consulting in 2007, 2008, and I I did think for um, a bit of time, you know, what was it like back then? Nicholas points to lessons learned from the 2008 financial crash and notices similarities between that time and where we are today, 15 years later. Yeah, so the other day I was I was thinking back to uh, what I was doing in, in 2008, 2007 time, right? I was working in consulting then and I was thinking, you know, given what's been happening recently the last few weeks with the banks, does it feel very, very similar to what was going on then, right? Um, and back then it seemed like there was just a, a, a long time period, right? Months after months after months that would stretch on when people felt that business conditions were weakening, that we were anticipating or expecting something to happen, but it seemed to drag on. And then all of a sudden, <clears throat> Bear Stearns, Lehman Brothers, massive stock market crash, you know, and the, and the rest is history, right? Um, two years, it took 18 months to get to the bottom of, of that recession and then another 18 months, two years to come out the other side, right? Um, and I'm and I'm wondering whether or not the near future, the the months, the year ahead, we may experience something similar. I mean, if we if we look at, at what's been happening, right? So of course, COVID pandemic, that's new. Um, we've had energy crises before um, in the 1970s. Um, we had a lot of stimulus, also um, fiscal stimulus in, in in 08. We had some inflation back then. We had a lot of inflation in the 70s. So I think the phrase is history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. Um, And certainly when I'm working with my clients, I do try to bring some of the perspectives, some of the experiences from recent economic history, right? What can we learn from that 2008 to 2010 period? What can we learn from 2000, 2001? What can we learn from the 70s and and 1985? Um, And and I think there, there are some key findings because a lot of us, and we, we face this as, as leaders or um, from, from some of the folks in our team is they've never worked through this sort of period before. They feel like, you know, they need to make a forecast, that they need to somehow predict the future in terms of what might happen. And the reality is that's never going to happen. That's impossible, right? Um, so what we can do and what I encourage to, to do is to perhaps 
um, think about some likely scenarios, think about some what ifs. And then from a procurement or supply chain perspective, if some of those things were to happen, then from a commercial point of view, right, what would we do? How would we approach suppliers, negotiations, supply relationships, and so on and so on. But I really think it's a big mistake to try and predict what could happen. I mean, what's going to set us up for, for success uh, now in the near future is being agile um, and being resilient. Like one of the big topics right now is, is, is building the just-in-case supply chain. Right. And we can't do everything. We really need to focus on the most critical areas of supply, the most um, in, in, important um, areas, the thing that's that's really going to move the dial if, if something goes wrong. I mean, speaking with a client the other day, <clears throat> you know, it, we're in 2023, you know, we've moved on from COVID and so on. But they said to me, Nick, supply continuity is still our number one. The business won't accept today. Right. COVID and pandemic is over. They won't accept any stockouts or supply disruptions. So business expectations are back to how they might have been in 2018, 19. But now we're operating in the super volatile environment, which means different things for, for procurement, different things for supply chain. COVID-19 taught everyone lessons. It showcased the importance of being prepared and having a second option in place should the worst happen. Nicholas believes most supply chains dealt with the disruption well, but admitted it wasn't the first period the industry had been tested. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for the most part, and pretty much all procurement and supply chain teams performed admirably, admirably well over the last um, couple of years, right? I mean, we elevated a role as that um, critical partner supporting the business, um, you know, back then, you know, it was masks and PPE and, and, and stuff like that. You know, being able to access scarce supply was not it was raw materials or, or services or whatnot, and, and helping the business, guiding the business through that through that transition. Um, but third party risk has always been important, right? Especially on the direct spend side, um, and maybe it's a, a newer topic on the indirect side. But this hasn't been the first period of volatility, right? Again, learning from another period in history, look at 2010, we had the Fukushima disaster, the earthquake, the, the nuclear disaster in Japan back then. You know, what happened? Um, a couple of industries were heavily disrupted. Automotive, in terms of semiconductors, but also pharma life sciences. Um, one of the, the things that went very, very scarce was apparently the, the little tiny caps that you put on top of test tubes. And without that, basically, pharma uh, and all the, the, the lab testing, the chemical testing, all the rest ground to a halt. Right. So for many teams back then, they realized, you know, supply chains and, and stockouts and shortages will have a, a business critical impact. So for some teams that already made the investments that set them up very well. So they were doing things like what are our critical supply chains? Right. Um, how do we get visibility into the end to end? Right. For semiconductors, you might need to go down to like tier nine or, or, or tier 10, you know, the absolute bottom. So we need some technology tools. We need some information tools. We need to adapt some ways of working. Um, you know, whether or not this is Jaguar Land Rover or BMW, you know, maybe we have a, a dedicated supply risk management team and so on and so on. Um, but where we are, right, 2022, 2023, um, you know, what we see from our research is about three quarters of, of, of teams are continuing to further develop and invest into supply risk management capabilities, right? We see something like um, 50% of companies wanting to go deeper into the supply chain, another quarter or a third, even wanting to get that visibility down to tier two 
or tier three levels, right? So um, supply continuity, con- continuity of supply, and having that visibility and developing that resilience is is, is super critical. I mean, one of the most uh, noticeable examples in recent weeks or months has been Apple, actually, right? So they have a, a very highly outsourced um, supply chain. Uh, they're using Foxconn in China. Of course, we all know China had the lockdown in October, November, December time. And Apple um, have come out. They've said, we're building the just-in-case supply chain. We need the resilience. And they're basically instructing their suppliers that if you have operations in China, you must also have alternative uh, operations, manufacturing capability in other Asian countries like Indonesia, uh, Malaysia, Vietnam. And even interestingly, they're talking about onshore US, right? Um, So the topic hasn't gone away. Expect it to continue to to be uh, of of prime importance. Um, And there's other clients that we're working with that are um, looking to build similar capability, right? Nicholas believes that procurement sits at an interesting point in history. He admits the industry has experienced a significant amount of change over the past few years and expects these challenges to continue to develop and mature as time goes on. My own personal perspective is it's a very interesting, very challenging and and demanding space to be in right now. It's, It's going to be really exciting. We've been... You know, we've experienced a huge amount of change over the last few years and looking ahead, uh, I only expect that change um, and that demand to continue, right? Um, so many of those challenges that we've been battling over the last few years, you know, look set to continue um, and even further develop, right? So whether or not that's managing for inflation, um, whether or not a slowdown comes or a recession appears and what that would mean in terms of our sourcing activities, executing a big uh, big pipeline of projects there or, or supplier actions. What about the, the ESG agenda, right, and uh, net zero contributions there and how we work with and engage with suppliers? Um, other trends like the importance of continuing to develop our talent, right? I like to talk about it as we already had a really um, busy set of priorities, challenges, opportunities that we were working on, right? When I talk to leadership teams and I ask them, so what do you have as your top priorities? If they come back to me and say things like shared services, deploying Ariba, deploying Cooper, um, process ownership or whatnot, I sort of turn my head and say, <clears throat> have you seen what's going on in, in, in external supply markets, right? What about things like, uh, yeah, third-party risk as we've been talking? What about... Um, the cost modeling, um, market insights so that we can have a better view on how we push back on suppliers or manage inflation or, or manage scarcity. Um, so, so my point of view is there's a really full plate of priorities. There's all those things that we know we already had to be working on. And you know what? We continue to face these new challenges, which are just making us uh, busier and busier. And, and that's why I come back to the point about, you know, the near future looks to be both very demanding and, and challenging, right? So if you're, if you're the sort of person that looks forward to that challenge, the sort of person that, that, that really wants to look to build something and make an impact uh, for the profession, for the future of procurement, then 
you know, it looks like this decade is is absolutely for you. I mean, we were laughing about, hey, you know, what if you're not set up for this sort of challenge, right? I think the one thing that we need to get right is the people aspects, right? In recent years, we might have had too much focus around technology and the whole, you know, four or five years ago, we used to talk about digital procurement endlessly. But I think where we are now, and we're looking at the challenges, right? We've been talking about risk, we've been talking about ESG, we've been talking about managing inflation. A lot of this, we're relying on the engagement, the goodwill, the energy of our of our colleagues and our teams, right? We need to hold on to our great people. We need to develop our people into great people as well. And I think that's going to make the difference between a great leader um, and, and a not so great leader is those that are able to lead and drive change and develop and take our people on, on the, the journey with us, right? Um, and, and I think this is also going to be one of our greatest challenges, right? So, you know, if we, if we look at big obstacles that we face, stakeholder engagement is a tough one. Deploying a new technology project is a, is a tough one. But you know what? It's, it's the people projects that are going to be the most difficult of all. Nicholas reveals how organisations can empower prospective procurement professionals to feel like the space is the place for them. He believes that it's important to look at a hybrid approach in order to attract the talent of the future. Great, great question. I was talking to um, another CPO this morning uh, and he was saying when he looks across Europe, there's only a small number of universities or, or higher education colleges that actually offer uh, you know, degree level qualifications in procurement or supply chain. I know from colleagues in the US that there's many more universities there that, that offer this level of education and, and this can create the entry point of a pipeline of, of talent for the future, right? And they've got the skills, the mindset, um, the, the training in, in what we need in terms of modern procurement. You know, are our professional institutions um, training and developing um, the, the people that we need, right? Um, and there's there's a few of them in Europe and everyone should know who I'm talking about. You know, are they are they delivering that talent or pipeline to the level that we need. But that's only one way in, right? And there's different roles, there's different mindsets. Um, and I really believe that we need to look at, um, you know, uh, a hybrid approach, many different solutions to provide us the, the talent uh, that we need, the talent for the future, right? I didn't start my career in procurement. I came in, uh, call it an experienced hire or, you know, certain number of years into, into my career, uh, and I, I think that's one of the other ways that we should be encouraging as well, whether or not that's colleagues that come in from engineering or quality um, or even sales and marketing in, in terms of our business, right? What, what we ideally need is, is, is very capable, energetic people keen to lead and drive change, right? You don't need to come from a, well, for some roles, you don't need to come for a, from a strong procurement background, Right. So long as you've got the right mix of call it general business skills, you know, the procurement side of things, you, you can learn that or it can be taught to you. Right. So if we look at strategic category managers as, as one particular role, right, having that depth, that knowledge, insights of the supply market um, and relationships with, with key stakeholders in the business. So if we look at business partners, again, it's more business relationships and and um, stakeholder development skills that are most important. Right. There's some roles Definitely like sourcing and contracting, which are, you know, much more traditional procurement. Well, yeah, you need to be much deeper in that. But there's a bunch of other new roles as well. 
right? Colleagues in, in the new sustainability function, they can come into procurement. Um, risk colleagues and so on as well. Um, you know, colleagues from the supply chain, other parts of our companies. But um, yeah, in terms of attracting and retraining and developing our talent, I think we need to be looking at lots of different um, solutions there, whether or not it's apprentice schemes, um, whether or not um, it's even uh, the use of, of third parties, right? Um, you know, well, the whole remuneration and compensation topic can um, can be a bit prickly, right? And uh, and I agree, you shouldn't lead with that. I mean, it is important, especially in these high inflationary conditions. You can't ignore it. Um, but if we're trying to attract people into the profession, then we need to make sure we're, we're paying on a competitive basis. But I think what really makes the difference is sitting down with our colleagues uh, and talking to them about their career prospects, being shown to be interested in developing their career, giving them the opportunities, the stretch targets to do new and interesting things. Um, Paul Polman came out with a, with a, a new research study the, the other week talking about the, um, the engagement, especially of the younger generations, and the alignment between corporate values uh, and individual values, right? So topics like ESG um, and um, uh, you know, work with purpose and so on play play a key role. But you know, my own personal view, and this is backed up by our research, is that um, you know, talent is going to be super important in the future for our success, and it will be super important to hold on to our talent. But we seem to you know have those conversations about careers to create those opportunities, and most important, to be investing in developing that talent, right? Um, and that's going to take. Uh, you know, some time and, and effort and dedication. You know, in this role, I'm very fortunate. I get to speak to a number of different people, um, different walks of life, different parts of the world, different backgrounds and so on. You'd be surprised the number of people I speak to. Hey, I, I work in, in procurement. I used to be an engineer. I used to work in R&D. I even used to work in sales and marketing. That one uh, I, I always find very interesting. I used to work in finance, right? There's no shortage of people that have, you know, <clears throat> found their way into procurement, uh, there's still some that, hey, I've, I've, I've done my 20 years or done my 25 years, right? Um, but they're also really, really helpful as well, especially right now, right, as we're trying to navigate these challenges. And as I mentioned, uh, we can, we can uh, you know, history doesn't repeat. We can learn from history. But if we're lucky, we can find some senior colleagues and they go, yeah, you know what? I remember the last period of inflation, right? <clears throat> and so there's a few, I have a few tricks up my sleeve that I can, that I can tell the youngsters um, uh, or those who haven't been through this period before, right? Um, it, it's, it's interesting. When we talk about things that we can learn uh, from from experienced colleagues or, or colleagues or whatnot, and I think we were talking about it earlier, right? This, this period that we're going through isn't unique, right? I was um, looking at doing a, a piece on uh, category planning the, the other day, and I was looking through a, a few old papers, and I came across one from... 2011, 2012, and I was looking at this uh, this one um, um, chart that had on the screen, and it was talking about, you know, looking back on the period that we've just been through from 2008 to 2010, and it was talking about, you know, there was a constraint of supply and there was excess demand, um, and then we, of course, we 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 had the, uh, the the commodity challenge. It was all hands to the pump, and and so on and so on, and it just, you know, we went through other phases and and, and challenges, but it just seemed very very similar, very prescient to the, the situation that we're now uh, looking ahead at, right? So again, right, learning from history. 
I think I think everyone's keen to learn. I think everyone is challenged. There's a lot to do. Um, we're all very very busy. Um, I, I think the challenges that um, those further along in in their career might face, shall we say, very diplomatically, yeah, will will be different than than those earlier on. But 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 changes all around us. Um, and whether or not we're part of that uh, more experienced hires or we're younger on, I think, again, as, as leaders, a key point is not only um, focusing on developing our colleagues, but also looking at everyone's welfare, you know, being mindful of the pressures that we face, um, being seen to help them um, work through their priorities, you know, provide guidance in terms of how they can best manage through um, and address the the, the various uh, pressures and, and challenges that that we're facing, right? So, you know, we were earlier on in the session we were talking about the journey that we're on and and where we might uh, be looking to go. Um, you know, and, and and all of us within procurement are, are facing these challenges, right? With the future in mind, Nicholas acknowledges the need for greater insight into supply versus demand in 2023 and beyond. Here, he expects the challenges of today to continue, but admits the industry is better equipped to handle disruption following the tumultuous couple of years. In the recent months, many teams um, have realised that we've got um, some, some weaknesses today, right? So, you know, how do we respond to, to the volatility and the changes in markets? We're realizing that we need to um, get much deeper or, or get much better, greater insight in terms of understanding supply versus demand, right? You might think, well, that not that a basic skill for procurement? Yes, it is, right? But we really need to understand more about how supply might be changing, demand, you know, we've been talking about recession or whatnot. Um, we see teams bringing in uh, people with an economics background or economic skills, whether or not this is just borrowing some folks from across the business or, you know, we're now adding that to, to our uh, job and, and role descriptions. Um, topics and, and skills like um, strategic or critical thinking, right? So many leadership teams right now are thinking about uh, geopolitical aspects. They're going um, Ukraine, oh heck, China. Oh, bother. You know, what about Taiwan? What about um, some people started talking about this idea of a multipolar world, right? And uh, the U.S.'s uh, hegemony may be challenged. We've, we've seen uh, the growth in India and China. We've seen the expansion and development of, of BRICS countries and so on. So I mean, when we look at the, the future, you know, I think it's it may well be more of the same and more of the same being a lot more volatility, a lot more challenge. Right. So some of these new areas, these new ways of working, these new competencies that we're looking to develop, we'll need to continue to build out that muscle, build out that strength to help us, you know, to face the challenges on the on the future path. Right. It might be more of the volatility. It might be more of the cost pressures, without a doubt, the cost pressures. It might be more of the um, geopolitical aspects, the supply risk aspects, um, the ESG aspects, the supplier diversity aspects. Right. So, again, coming back, you know, continuing theme, people, exciting, challenging, demanding. Well, it would be great to go back to that period of, uh, of 2018, 2019. But, but that's last decade, unfortunately. Right. And you look at the look at the calendar. We're in 2023. Right. This is year three uh, of, uh, of madness and, and, and craziness. We're into the new decade. Um, and, and, and from where I'm 
sitting right now, it looks like much of this could continue. It's it's interesting when you read around this topic. Uh, it seems you know business cycles are a thing, right? Operating in twenty five or, or twenty eight year cycles, and it seems at certain points of that cycle, you know, the beginning or the end, um, the conflict or contest over resources seems to spark a lot of this volatility. Right, so it might be that hey, the year two thousand was near the start of one of these cycles, and where we are now is getting towards the end, right? As as um, you know, tensions develop between countries and geopolitics and so on. So it'll be really interesting to see what unfolds or what starts to unfold over the the next five years. Uh, you know, one of the topics that people are starting to talk about is. Um, you know, to shift the movement away from the U.S. dollar and what might, what might this mean um, for for global markets um, and and most importantly, what that might mean for for the U.S. Right. So typically, they've relied on other countries or corporates buying their debt to to fund um, their, their their economy, their expansion. Right. And if we move away from that, then what might this mean in terms of economic conditions and therefore for global markets and therefore for our companies, businesses, procurement and, and, and supply chain? Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the CPO Strategy Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, make sure that you subscribe or like our social media pages so that you never miss an episode. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the CPO Strategy Podcast, brought to you by CPO Strategy Magazine and B2E Media Limited. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please remember to like, subscribe and review. And don't forget to check out our podcast archive at www.cpostrategypodcast.com.